Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to come together once again and to hear and read your word. We pray, Lord, for the preacher today, Pastor Chowee, that as he speaks, Lord, we Lord, that you guide his words and speak through him, Lord, and help us to be able to learn more about you and follow your commandments, Lord, in all that we do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, today's passage from Mark 2, 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw that their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Now let's turn to this morning passage. If you have your Bible with you, Please turn to Mark chapter 2. As we learned in Mark chapter 1, Jesus began his very public ministry in the city of Capernaum. He entered the town and immediately began to preach about the kingdom of God. In that chapter, Jesus also demonstrated his great power. He cast out demons and heal diseases of every sort. In Mark chapter 1, verse 32, we learn that Jesus must have healed nearly every sick person in that town. His miracles eclipsed his message. The people flocked to Jesus to see what he would do next. Each miracle left them hungry for more. Jesus and his four disciples left Capernaum and began a preaching tour through Galilee to escape this frenzy. The preaching tour was now ended, and Jesus and his men returned to Capernaum. This town was an important place in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Capernaum served as the northern headquarters for his ministry. It was here that he put his great healing power 
on public display. It was here that he preached in power. And it was here in Capernaum that Jesus Christ made his very public claims to be the Messiah. So Jesus and his men have returned to Capernaum. We are told that he had come home. This is probably a reference to the home of Peter. They entered town with no fanfare, but word soon go out that Jesus was back in Capernaum. When the people heard that the miracle worker had returned, they flocked to the house where he was saying, Jesus is in the house and the crowds have come to see him and to see what he will do. But this time, Jesus was not busy healing, but rather he was speaking to the people. As the people gathered, Jesus preached to them the word or the message about God's kingdom. Speaking the word is central to Jesus' ministry. It was standing room only, and there were so many people that the crowd overflowed out the house. There wasn't even any room near the door. Houses in that region were usually small, single-room dwelling places. So the house filled up quickly and the crowd spilled out onto the street. Something spectacular happened right in the middle of this preaching service. Four men brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They believed that if they could get this man to Jesus, then Jesus could heal his body. When they arrived at the house, the crowd was too large that they could not get into the house through the door. These men were undeterred, even though the path of, to Jesus was blocked. They knew this paralyzed man needed Jesus and they were willing to go to great lengths to get him to Jesus. Then one of them came up with a brilliant idea. Now, you have to understand how homes were constructed in Jesus' time to make some, any sense of this at all. Houses in Jesus' time have flat roofs, which were often used as social gatherings. And these houses had outdoor stairways attached to the outside of the house that led up to the roof. So these men went up on the outdoor stairway to the roof where Jesus was. Most houses at that time were small, single-room dwellings, so these men didn't have to guess which room Jesus was in or where to dig the hole. The roofs that time were made from a series of wooden beams spaced three to four feet across. Those beams were then crisscrossed by smaller branches, four to five feet long. Then the foundation was covered by a layer of clay tiles. And finally, 
a thick layer of mud was placed on the very top. This was rolled and pressed until it was very hard and rainproof. So here is the humorous scenes. Jesus was preaching in the house. Whilst these four men started carrying their friend up the staircase onto the roof of the house. Once there, they began to dig through the roof until they had made an opening large enough to lower their friend into the house. Can you imagine the scenes in the house? As Jesus was preaching, the sound of digging would have been heard overhead. After a short time, dirt and wood began to fall on the crowd assembled below. I'm sure it would have been quite a commotion. And there would have been dirt and mud falling into the room as they dug out the hole. Once the opening was big enough, verse 4 says, they let down the mat on which the paralytic was lying. You can just imagine the faces of everyone in the house as they lowered their friend into the room. Here he is, a paralytic. He cannot move, probably can't talk, but his four friends go to extreme measures to get him to Jesus. Can you picture looking up, seeing four sweaty, impish faces lowering a mat on ropes through the roof? While below, Pharisees and scribes are brushing rooftops off their ropes. I wonder what Jesus thought. I would imagine there would have been a smile on his face as he realized what was happening. I'm sure that he was amused by the whole thing. I wonder what the crowd thought. Surely, this had never happened in a worship service before. They were no doubt amazed at what was taking place. These men willing to do what? Ever it took to get a friend to the Lord. Verse 5 tells us Jesus was not merely looking at the paralytic, but he was also looking at the four of them. In verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. Brothers and sisters, don't miss what is exposed here by the action of these four friends, no one can doubt that they had faith. First, their faith was persistent. It was not easy to carry that man up onto the roof and then dig through the roof. It was a difficult task. Once they got their friend on the stretcher, there was no stopping them. When they hit a dead end or face an obstacle, none of them said, well, the crowd is too big. I guess it 
isn't the Lord's will. Second, their faith was creative because they passionately trusted Christ's ability to heal. And since they loved their friends so deeply, their faith became inventive. They were able to think outside the box. For them, it was not business as usual. It took ingenuity to think of breaking up the roof to get that man to Jesus. Third, the faith was sacrificial. They might have had to pay for the cost of the repair to Peter's roof. That would take time, labor, and expense. One commentator said, a faith that brings God's power to the world is always willing to pay the price. These men were willing to do whatever it took to bring that man to the Lord. The same heart needs to be within us. As long as it is biblical, we should shy away from nothing to bring people to Jesus. Now, the paralytic was lowered into the service. Jesus witnessed the extent and depth of the faith in him and in his ability. Then Jesus did something amazing. He said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Why does Jesus say this? Why doesn't he say, Son, you are healed. Rise up and walk. That's why they dug open the roof. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says something completely unexpected. Jesus tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. I think that there is something very important to consider in the fact that Jesus' first act was not to heal the man, but rather to forgive him. For one thing, it shows us what is important to our Lord. When we come to him for our needs, we often put in the forefront the needs that we have in mind when we come. But what we don't often realize is that Jesus knows our real needs better than we do. When we come to Jesus and ask for healing, and we aren't healed right away, it's not that Jesus hasn't met our need. Rather, it might be that it's not our greatest need at that moment. When we come to Jesus and ask him to take us out of a trial or to supply our material needs or solve some difficult problem for us and he doesn't do what we ask right away, let's not just automatically assume that he hasn't heard our prayers. Instead, 
Let's take it that Jesus knows our real need better than we do. And that our real needs must be met first before the other needs can be met. Now take this man. He wanted healing. That's what the people up on the roof wanted for him too. That's why they went through the great effort that they did for him. But Jesus knew best of all what was really needed and what the man needed more than anything else. Yes, even more than healing was a forgiveness of his sins. When the teachers of the law heard Jesus forgive the paralyzed man's sin, they could not believe their ears. They knew that only God could forgive sins. They understood the words of Jesus as a claim to be God. When they heard this, they immediately accused him in their hearts. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? I want to stress that their reasoning was correct based on their assumption. But it was their assumption about Jesus that was wrong. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. Jesus is God. This is exactly what Jesus wants people to understand. Jesus is not just a good moral teacher. Jesus is not merely a prophet. Jesus is the Lord, the Lord God himself. Mark tells us in verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And isn't it interesting that he knew perhaps they had said a word. They have not said a word. But Jesus nevertheless knew with perfect clarity what it was that they were thinking. Immediately, as if peering around the and looking right at them, Jesus said to teachers, those teachers of the law, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to these paralyzed men, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And I ask you the same question, brothers and sisters, which is easier? Obviously, it is far easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one would know whether or not it was done. No one could tell whether or not Jesus had the authority to forgive sins because nothing would have happened before the eyes of the crowd to prove that it was so. Jesus' question is to redirect their thinking. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a miracle worker. I am the Savior. Any miracle worker 
can say, take up your mat and walk. But only the Savior of the world can say to a human being, all your sins are forgiven. Jesus is not claiming to be a miracle worker. Jesus is claiming to be the Lord of the universe. Jesus had the authority to dispense the forgiveness of God. As if to not even wait for the teachers of the law to answer, Jesus continued by saying in verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then before the eyes of them all, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Notice carefully that Jesus did not say this to the man simply to heal him, but also so that those who saw would know that he, was the, he has the authority to forgive him. And look at what happened. We were told in verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. It was clear to everyone. If Jesus could prove that he had the authority to do the harder things, to say, that is, to heal the man instantly and send him home, then it's obvious that he also had the authority to do the easier thing to say, that is, to forgive the man's sins and had been committed against God. Everyone saw what had happened. Perhaps as everyone in the house and outside and on the roof all were in stunned silence and they heard that man leaving and dancing and shouting praises to God as he carried his mat out the door. I suspect the crowd even opened a path for him as he left. And we are told, this amazed everyone. And they praise God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. In these verses, Jesus uses the physical to prove the spiritual. As I said, the forgiveness of sin cannot be proven. But the physical healing is easy to prove. When Jesus commanded the man to get up, take your mat, and go home, he was proving that he was who he claimed to be. By healing this man, Jesus proved that he was worthy of faith. He was proving that he was the Messiah. He was proving that he was God in the flesh. Amen. So what are some applications we can carry away from this passage? I suggest four lessons. First, the divinity of Jesus. In this gospel passage, Jesus does three things that only God can do. First, 
He can read people's hearts because he knows the thoughts of the teachers of the law. Second, forgiving sins is an authority that belongs only to God. And he confirms that by his word. Third, curing physical illnesses by his mighty word is also what God does. Our Lord does all these things to show himself as the true God. Secondly, secondly, I believe we can learn from the faith of the paralytics for friends. They truly believed Jesus was the only hope for their friend. They knew their friend couldn't come to Jesus on his own. And so they overcame all the obstacles in the way. And they brought their friends to Jesus. We need to do the same for our friends and loved ones who do, who do not know Christ. We need to bring them to Jesus. How do you bring a friend to Jesus? You pray for them. You show them Christ's love in a thousand different ways. You look for openings to talk to them about God, to share with them about Christ, to invite them to church with you. Brothers and sisters, that is the very best thing you can do for your friends as well. We need to bring our friends to Christ. Thirdly, we need to recognize that not all people will accept Christ. The teachers of the law were not open to Christ. I believe their problem was pride. Everyone was praising Jesus. He was getting better prayers than they were. He taught with an authority they did not have. They felt jealous of him. They felt threatened by him. And they would eventually plot to kill him in order to get him out of the way. Not everyone will be receptive when you tell them about Jesus. That's okay. Still tell them anyway. Our job is just to plant the seed. It is up to God to make it grow. It's sad. But we need to recognize that not everyone will want to receive Christ. And then finally, we need to come to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When Jesus healed the paralytic, he was demonstrating his authority to forgive. Are you a sinner? Are you in need of forgiveness? Then come to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. 
has never turned anyone away. Only Christ can forgive your sins. Let me encourage you. Come to him today. Amen. May the Lord bless you.